You can go ahead, grab a seat there. Hey, it's my privilege this morning to get to introduce our speaker today. And uh, I, I am uh, I'm over the moon about what's about to happen to you all. Uh, seriously, I'm, I am so jealous for you. God, God is at work. Move powerfully in first service. And uh, we, we've had the opportunity of hosting Michael and Meredith uh, Malden over this weekend. It started on Friday night where we had... Uh, a night of them speaking into the creative arts world and changing culture through the arts. And uh, it was an incredible night. How many joined us on Friday night for that? It was, it was awesome. It was such fun stuff. Uh, we'll, more to come on that. Uh, there, are, there are things we learned that we will definitely be doing in the future here. Uh, and then on Saturday, our, our worship team, our worship world got together, and they spent the entire day uh, doing what's called a song lab, where Meredith was pouring into them, helping them to write their own songs and release the sound of heaven among us, and it resonating from our own voices, our own story. And so, uh, so that's what our worship world was doing on Saturday. And then here today, we're going to get a chance to hear from Michael. Uh, I met Michael because a good friend of mine, a prophetic man by the name of Ray Hughes. How many know and love Ray? Uh, it's been a while since he's been back here, but uh, uh, up up to Minnesota. But Ray has has been a mentor for me in uh, in my faith walk, uh, major role in in my life. And I was on a phone call with him, and he was asking about you guys. And I was just sharing about the journey that the house church has been on, this community, and and uh, I'm bragging on you and just telling you know uh, about what God's doing among you guys. And uh, he stops me, says. Do you know Michael Malden? I said, no, I don't. And he said, you have to meet Michael. I said, okay, Ray. Like, this is the first time he's ever done this kind of thing on me. And I said, I said all right, why? He said, because, because he has something for your community. And it's going to cause you guys to go to a whole new expression, a whole new level, a whole new... Like, we're right on the cusp of some things, and, and, uh, and it requires impartation to, to keep moving. Like, we don't have all the, all the stuff that we need, and the Lord brings it to us. And, and so uh, he introduced us. He, he connected us. And so I, I, I had a Zoom meeting with Michael in 2020 because that's the only places you can meet people last year. And so we get on this Zoom meeting, and this is what happened. Uh, you know, first of all, he's bright, you know, awesome guy personality off the charts, you know, big smile, like it was a great conversation. But superimposed over uh, our conversation, I was seeing in the spirit, and the Lord just showed me this picture of who he is and what he carries. And it was, su- it was f- the fire of heaven resting on him, just this anointing. And, and so I'm looking at this, and I, I'm, I tried to share the best I could what I was seeing in the spirit as we were talking, but... Uh, but, but in that picture, when I saw that, I knew the Lord wanted to light us up. And so we literally, in that first conversation, I was like, you're coming to Minnesota. we got to figure this out. And uh, we began laying best, play, best laid plans, right, to, uh, to get them up here. And this is the soonest we could. Um, always in divine timing. It's, it's the right moment telling you what, what's going to happen this morning. I want you to get your expectation up. Because the Lord's going to speak right into where you're at, and the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your life that you have been looking for, and uh, you're going to find it here today. Amen? Okay. So what I want you to do, I want you to turn up your honor. Uh, you know, here at the house, we, all, we're try, we try to be the most obnoxious, welcoming church we can. Okay, and so what that means here is uh, I want you to jump to your feet and give the most rowdy Minnesota welcome that you can. Y'all are embarrassing me. (laughs) Thank you. 
man, I thought, this is my first time to Minnesota, and I thought y'all were going to be all cold and stiff. <laughs> Wrong church. Thank you, Jesus. Heaven's culture's here. I have no idea how I'm going to live up to that introduction, unless I just get out of the way. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then I got a word that's burning in me for you guys. If that's all right, I'm just going to just like, just kind of dive in. That's okay. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this body. I thank you for just their vibrancy. Thank you for the beautiful, just the colorful aspect of their hearts and who they are. Just the, the sense of destiny that's in the room, Lord, I feel it's just like percolating. There's so many new things and new dreams and things that are stirring in people's hearts. And, and, uh, and Lord, today, even for those that, that have lost their dream, Lord, today that they would be reawakened to the hope to which you've called them to. That even the older ones, Lord, that they would dream dreams again and, uh, and realize that their latter years can be greater than their former years. And uh, you, Lord, even those, and those young firebrands that are in the room, just some of these young bucks that I see, uh, Lord, that they wouldn't consider themselves too young to do extraordinary things because the same spirit that's in you as dwells in all of us. And so thank you, Lord, for the multi-generational thing that you're doing in this room. It's very special, Lord. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, man, I, uh, this word that's been burning in me for the body uh, really came to me uh, at the beginning of, of 2020 before COVID actually came, outbreak happened. And the Lord said, my body needs courage. And um, I didn't realize why the body needed courage at that time until I, until I started to see fear blanket the planet, you know. And I really started to look into courage. You know, what, what, is, what does it mean to have courage? Why would he say that we need courage? And, you know, the first thing that I noticed was, you know, Joshua and Caleb, when it was time to enter the promised land, it said, be strong and courageous, right? Because it was time to advance, and, and the spirit and the flesh are in opposition. So the world and the flesh would say, okay, it's time to retreat and hide out and shrink back. But God is saying, take courage that maybe now is the time to advance and go after your promises. Right? And so I love how Pastor Jamie right now is going through a series of wisdom. Right? And teaching you guys wisdom. He carries wisdom. You can sense it in the house. The wisdom to be able to build and to know the times and seasons and to know when to rush the battlefield with courage. Because you need those things coupled together. Because a lot of young bucks, we're zealous and we'll just, we'll just roll. Sometimes the wrong timing. Sometimes alone when we should have someone with us and these kind of things. And so I saw a picture driving down the road uh, yesterday. And I felt like it, it pictured uh, courage without wisdom. <laughs> Put up this picture if you don't mind. This dude's driving down the freeway with the hood straight up. I was like, man, y'all are wild here in Minnesota. And so I started thinking about one of the definitions of courage is this. It says, courage is a heart word. The root word of courage is core, which is Latin for heart. And the earliest form of the word means to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. And so that picture reminded me of that a little bit. It's like, wide open heart, here I come, you know. And so it takes courage to speak what's on your heart, right? But it's also the wisdom to know what to speak in what setting. Because <laughs> I know I've, I've gone with my guns blazing at times and it's backfired, right? Fully open heart. But I feel like there's this dynamic, though, that we need to understand for a lot of us to be able to open our hearts again, to be able to dream again, where there's been hope deferred, where there's been, you know, places where there's been setbacks or betrayals or certain things that have caused us to shrink back from fully expressing the God version of us in the earth, you know, where we, where we, we modulate our personalities and we, we just shrink back from, from the battle. We shrink back from possessing the promises and apprehending the fullness of what God promised for us. And, and so when, when God is saying my body needs courage, it's because he wants to move you forward. He wants to move you forward into those places. He wants to move you forward deeper into his heart, deeper into the manifestation of who you are, and also the physical things in the earth that you're supposed to do. Sometimes we can get so spiritual and just feel like it's only about manifesting Jesus, but he actually had, he came with a mission and a purpose. 
right? He knew who he was. He had his seven I am statements. He knew who he was, right? The shepherd, you know, the gate, the door. He knew, he was confident in his identity, but he also had a plan to seek and save that which was lost, to destroy the works of the devil, to make disciples, get them filled with the spirit. Then he had a plan to send them out, first Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth, right? So he was strategic in this, this fullness thing, in this, this thing of advancing forward in the earth. Because I noticed this pattern in the Bible. When God says to, to, go, to advance or to move forward, it was always into enemy territory. Every single time. That's why we need courage, right? You think about when, when God was sending Moses to the earth, the, the deliverer. He's sending the deliverer to the earth. What was the strategy? All right, we're going to have him be born, then we're going to him, put him in this basket and send him down the river. Right into the enemy's camp. Have him be raised by basically the Antichrist spirit. I don't know if I'd, I'd sign up for that strategy. Think about time to enter the promised land. He sets them free from bondage. Then it's time, I got this place for you filled with milk and honey. It's all yours. But there's giants in that land. You'll need some courage, right? You can keep going. Gideon, you know, same thing. Jesus comes to the earth. They send Jesus to the earth. The next savior deliverer at the time when they're killing all the babies. Not the safest time to do it, right? But right into the enemy's camp. And Jesus sends his disciples out. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. I'd be like, nah, Jesus, you're tripping. Don't you mean wolves amongst lambs? Let's flip this thing, you know? No, 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 no. Why? It's because he wants to do it with us. Because you can't fulfill your calling or your destiny without him. He wants to do this in relationship, and he wants to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask, think, or imagine, because he wants to blow your mind. If you can do it, you'll be bored. And I realized last year, like the most famous statement I heard everywhere we went, we ended up traveling more in 2020 than any other time in our lives. And every time we would leave the house or fly somewhere, everybody would go, be safe out there, guys. I want you to be safe out there. Be safe. And Michael, Meredith, you guys, please be safe out there. Be safe out there. I started thinking about that, and I was like, there's no command in the Bible that says be safe. It's not in there. Could you imagine? All right, Joshua and Caleb, it's time to enter the promised land. The giants are right before you. You're going to go there, conquer the promised land. Be safe out there. Be safe out there, guys. Now, hear, hear what I'm saying. Use wisdom, but realize the Lord, when he's saying be courageous, it's because he's sending you into a place. He's sending you into a place of promise. And yes, there's giants, but you're made to fell giants. It's why you're designed. It's why you're created. It's the thing that will make you come fully alive. I'm telling you, you're made for it. You're not made for monotony. You're not made to be bored in a cubicle. Though you can destroy giants in cubicles, but hear me. You're not made for the mundane. He's made you for the extraordinary, the off-the-hook supernatural lifestyle. But it's going to take courage to step into it. It's going to take courage to cross over into that place. Let's go. I had a dream once where I was so, like, frustrated because in the dream, I was like, it was in this Braveheart setting. There's the, there's the battlefield. The enemy's on the other side of the camp. The Braveheart guys are behind me, my squad. And I was mad because the devil kept attacking us. And I was like, God, why do you allow the devil to keep attacking us? And I could see him from like waist down. I couldn't see him and he didn't say anything. But from behind me in this, in this roar, all these men rose up and go, so we can have victory. And I was like, all right, I like that. But it's what we're made for. He said he's made you an overcomer. More than a conqueror. What's more, what's more than a conqueror? More than. 
That's how we're supposed to align our lives with the word of God. If our lives aren't lining up with that reality, it's time for the upgrade. It's time to move forward into that place. All right, y'all ready to get in the word with me a little bit? All right, I'm getting fired up up here. All right, we're gonna go to uh, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, but I wanna speak to you guys I want to speak prophetically out of this because I want you to look at it from the lens of your life and how to face your own particular giants, okay? There's a story of David and Goliath. I know we've all heard it a thousand times, but we're going to look at it. I want you to look at it with new eyes today, okay? All right, turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. I'm just going to read verse 1. We're going to stop there. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. All right, so when I look at the scriptures, man, I just love to dive into the words, you know, because the Hebrew is so rich in meaning and picture, and there's just so much that the Lord is trying to tell us within this. And so first thing I look at is the Philistines. So the Philistines, they're coming to attack the people of God, okay? They're coming into the enemy territory. They're coming into enemy territory. They're trying to possess the land of God. They're trying to come in. Okay, so Philistine means stranger or alien, okay? It also means to wallow in the mud, but, but let's go with stranger and alien for this one, okay? So... The stranger comes into the land, the land of God, and the first place it steps into is the place of Soko and Judah. Soko means hedge, Judah means praise. Okay? So this voice of a stranger comes in and takes up residence in the place of praise. It breaks down the hedge and comes into the place of praise. What is praise? We were singing about it this morning. Praise is the vehicle by which we magnify the Lord. Okay, say it with me. Praise is the vehicle by which we magnify the Lord. Well, my wife was teaching this morning, let's magnify God. This was, this was one of the keys to David's strength. David said he would strengthen himself in the Lord. Like, in maturity as believers, we need to know how to strengthen ourselves. That means we get in a weak place of doubt, despair, and we have to then get our place where our hearts are encouraged and strengthened. We need to learn to do it ourselves. We need each other for that, too. That's why the body is here. We encourage, we speak to exhort, to strengthen, but we need to know how to learn to encourage ourselves like David did. And he would say, come, let's magnify the Lord together. Go to Psalm 34 with me real quick. This psalm speaks of David dealing with fear and how he deals with it, okay? This is what he says, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How often? Continually. It seems kind of hard to do that, right? Like, how do you do that? How do you do that? We'll get there. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. Come on. I'm not seeing God clearly right now. My problems are massive. Like I got debt. I'm losing my job. My kids have gone rogue. We got sickness, all these things. It's like it's all on top of me. Ah, come, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's magnify the Lord together. Because then he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from my fears. Right, this place of let's get the other stuff off, let's magnify him, let's hear his voice, he's going to deliver us from our, from our fears. It says, those that look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. So keys for David is to magnify the Lord. And so the enemy knows this. The enemy knows that your ability to magnify things. So he comes right into your territory, into your place of praise and says, I'm going to take up residence right here and I'm going to magnify myself in your midst. We've been in a season that's been unprecedented in our lifetimes, right? There's been something invisible that you cannot see, 
but you've been made aware of it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're constantly hyper aware of something that you cannot see. Why? Because it's been continual. <laughs> it's like it's like nonstop through media, news, masks, everywhere, signs. It's constantly in front of you. Right? So it's taking up residence in this place of praise. It's magnifying its effect. It's not that it's not real. But it's been magnified way more than God in many of our lives. So the enemy knows this scheme. He comes into this place of praise. And then let's go on. We have... What comes next in Scripture is this unprecedented dynamic where there's this detailed description of Goliath, this giant who's a loudmouth. All right? Let's go to verse 3. 1 Samuel 17, verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, <laughs> whose height was six cubits in a span. I have no idea what a span is. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and javelin bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. <laughs> You're just supposed to read that with a British accent. But look at this. The enemy steps in and all of a sudden, bam, detailed of what the enemy looks like. Detail of what the enemy looks like. He's been magnified in their midst. And what's he doing? He's just shouting at the ranks of Israel. All he's doing is shouting. What's he saying? I don't remember. <laughs> Why have you come up to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not just the servants of Saul? Immediately, he just hits at their identity. Boom, aren't you just these little servants, these little people of God? Who are you? And all he's doing is shouting at them, and he's become so magnified in their midst that the entire nation of Israel has been sidelined. They're petrified in fear and afraid to move forward. Unable to move forward because of this voice of a stranger magnifying itself in their midst. And then, bam, he hits at them. Who do you think you are, you little servants? And that's when you flip the script on the enemy. Don't you know that the servants are the greatest of all in the kingdom? You've got to learn to flip the script on the enemy when he comes at you, tries to hit at you. Who do you think you are? You think you can fulfill your destiny? You're like, no, but Jesus can in me. Right? You think you can, you can resurrect that dream? No, but God can. He's the God of the resurrection. So it says, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Saul, their leader, he was the one leading right now. And you know that he... He was the one. He didn't fully understand who he was. And he heard this voice of the Philistine. Saul was a giant in his own right. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. But because of his fear, it spread and infected his entire nation. They were unable to move forward. There's something, there's something fascinating about Saul because Saul, he had actually encountered the spirit of God. He had actually been transformed and been given a new heart but he didn't realize who he was. He didn't realize whose he was. Turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel 10. I 
this scripture is about when uh, Samuel, he, he's, he's commissioned by the Lord to, to, to find a king for Israel. And he's searching for uh, Saul. And he comes up to Saul and he prophesies to him. And he says, you're going to see these prophets coming down a mountain. And they're going to be playing instruments. Harp, lyre, flute. You've got to come into their presence. They're going to be prophesying. And when you come into their presence, you're going to prophesy with them. And the spirit of God is going to come upon you. Chapter 10, verse 8, 1 Samuel 10, verse 8, said the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do. God is with you. He tells them, when this happens to your life, realize that God's with you. The spirit of God comes upon you, realize it. Do all this in your heart. And later in verse 9 it says, God turned his back, uh, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Saul had been transformed. He encountered God. He got a new heart. He didn't remember who he was. So check this out. The seminal moment of his life comes later in this chapter. And the seminal moment for Saul is when Samuel takes him before the people. And he wants to present them as their king. Okay, so this, this is what happens. So this man who just been transformed, new heart, God's like he's with you. He just had these prophetic things happen to him. He's seen God move. He's experienced it. He's hung around these prophetic minstrels and experienced the presence of God. Chapter 10, verse 22, says they're looking for Saul to bring him, bring him forward. It says, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there, is there a man still to come? Because they, they can't find him. And the Lord said, behold, he's hidden himself amongst the baggage. The guy who's called to be the leader, head and, head and shoulders above everybody else, it's his seminal moment to be presented before the people, and he's, he's doing this number. That's bizarre. It's kind of a bizarre story, huh? But how often in our lives... When these seminal moments present themselves, do we hide behind our own baggage and go, I don't know if I can do that again because last time this happened to me. And, man, I, I failed too many times, and so I, this happened to me. And I've been betrayed, and my heart hurts. I don't want to feel that again, so I'm putting this in front of me. And you don't know what happened when my kids did this. I, I, can't, I can't trust them anymore, and so I'm putting this in front of me. And, and so we hide behind these things in our lives, and ultimately what we're doing is we're saying that what the, the price that Jesus paid is not big enough for those mistakes that we might have made or the things that have been happened to us. We've, we've, in a sense, magnified the baggage over what Jesus has done for us. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do that has not been paid for. Even if you keep messing up. Or if you hurt that bad, there's nothing that you can do that has not been paid for. Like guilt, shame, condemnation has no place in the body. You're like, you don't understand, Michael, what I've done. No, do you not understand what he's done? That's the, that's the understanding. <laughs> so how does David deal with this dynamic? Let's look to David because there's this contrasting of leadership here. David's... David's about to step onto the scene. This is the seminal moment of his life. What you have to understand about David is that his, when, when Saul came to look to anoint a king at the household of David, his dad didn't even get David out of the fields to, to even acknowledge him as a son. Psalm 51 said, in, in sin I was conceived. There's many, many scholars believe that he was an illegitimate child. So he had every reason to have baggage, been rejected by his brothers, his family, illegitimate, didn't look the same as them, whatever else. He had a lot of baggage to be able to contend with, right? So his, his brothers are off at war. He's back hanging out with his dad, you know, tending the sheep, the, the, low, the low level job. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't despise those low level jobs. Because God could be preparing you for something extraordinary. One of the best worship leaders we have at the upper room right now, he came in and started scrubbing toilets. That's how he entered in. And I was like, man, 
And that humility, the Lord just he exalts the humble. You know? So, David, let's get back to David here. 1 Samuel 17, verse 19. Then Saul, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were at the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions as he went, as Jesse had commanded him. So his dad's telling him to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers, right? And as he came to the encampment, as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines drooped for battle, army against army. So here comes David. It says, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran into the ranks to greet his brothers. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and went to greet his brothers. You think that's there by accident? Or you think the, the author might be trying to tell us something? He left his things. Who's the keeper of our baggage? Who's the keeper of our baggage? Jesus. He took it all upon him on the cross. Like you're not meant to carry any of the stuff that's been done to you or the things that you've done. It's too heavy for you. It will diminish your glory. It's meant for him to carry so that you can be enlightened and light and shine and reflect and manifest the glory of God in the earth. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. And we need to be experts at failing and turning quickly to Jesus. Get the baggage off. Let's give, it to, let's give it to the Lord. That's significant. Because you have to understand about David. David's, David's stepping onto the scene here when all these people are under this oppression of this, this, uh, uh, this voice of a stranger, right? This taunting voice. David's out in the fields. He's tending the sheep. He's playing the harp. He's not listening to CNN and Fox News. He's not on social media. He's not hearing that voice of a stranger that's causing him anxiety. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they won't listen to. Because what does the voice of a stranger do? Because the voice of the, sheep, the shepherd, he leads you by, by still waters. He leads you into triumphant procession. The voice of a stranger will lead you to be anxious and insecure and to shrink back, right? So David left his things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran into the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same way as before. And David heard him. David was like, what? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who comes up? Have you seen this guy? Surely he's come down to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. When I was reading this, I had this thought. I was like, the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. What if, like, what if the giants in your life are like the guardians of your destiny? That they're set in place there for you to take down and that everything that you need, the provision, the... The, the, the calling, the all these things are on the other side of that thing. Because think about it. Like if you, just, if you just get handed things, like, if, like people that win the lottery, can they, can they handle that very well? They all end up in debt, sued, whatever else, right? But what if the, the thing that God put in front of you has been like strategically designed for you to take down so that you could handle all that he wants to give you and entrust to you? That's the promised land. Why did he not just take the giants out? He had them do little by little, stage by stage. But each one, there was these guardians guarding the, the milk and the honey, these giants. 
And so what if our own individualized giants or our own baggages are these things that are keeping us from the fullness of what God has for us? I think the Lord wants to entrust us. I think he wants to entrust us with a lot of provision, with, with more of his heart, with revelation from heaven. But he's like, I need you to have courage to see with my eyes and fell this giant that's right before you. And if you'll quit listening to that stranger, you might have faith to take him out. Now, I, I think in this, in this last season, I, I saw, I just saw a lot of people dealing with anxiety. And I was just thinking about faith. And I think a lot of people's anxiety is just misplaced faith. You know, because faith is the assurance of what you've hoped for, the evidence of things that you haven't seen. It's your, your, there's evidence of a future reality that you haven't seen yet, but there's this assurance of it that it's going to come to pass, right? And so anxiety functions the same way. You're assured there's evidence of something bad that's going to happen in the future. And you're assured that it's going to happen, and so you're freaking out, right? And so it's a faith function. You're just pointing it in the wrong kingdom. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for. God has something in front of you that is part of your destiny. It's what you're called to. And you have, there's these little evidences, these little clues, these little words, these little prophetic things that, are, that help you have assurance that it's going to come, that you hold on to those things. And so anxiety comes because you're looking at a future reality, though it be in a negative reality. You're seeing evidence of maybe, maybe this negative thing is going to happen to me. So you start to have fear, then you feel it viscerally. You have this anxiety, this panic attack. You're like, what if this happens? And what if, and what if, and what if? So your faith function is just pointed in the wrong kingdom. And what if instead of having an anxiety attack, you come over here to the kingdom of God, and you have faith in what he's doing, you have a, a faith attack. I'm serious. This is a real thing to where it overtakes you. And then you have this just like, you have this infectious belief in what God's called you to do, and then it infects those around you with faith. Because think about when someone starts to complain with fear, anxiety, they start to do it around you, then you're like, well, maybe that is going to happen. <laughs> Dang, maybe, you know, you start, that, that thing starts to come on you. It's just the faith function the wrong way. Let's point it the other way. A lot of us are real good at the other one. Just flip it. Just flip it. It says the flesh and the spirit in opposition. One of the ways I learned to walk in the spirit is I had all this, these dumb, negative, anxious thoughts. And I was like, well, I don't know what God's saying. I'm just going to do the opposite of this because I know that's not God. And it worked. Because sometimes that voice of the stranger has been so loud and we've listened to him for so long. It's hard to hear the, the still, small voice of the Father, because that Philistine voice is loud. It's loud, but it don't take much to fall. It's back to David. Sorry, I'm, I'm going on tangents here, and I got five minutes left. All right. So let's go to uh, verse 28. David steps onto the scene. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, when David spoke to the men, because David's like, because David's like, ultimately David's saying this. He's like, why are y'all freaking out? Don't you know that we're the armies of the living God? Don't you know this guy's defying God? This is who we are. Why are y'all tripping out? It's, a, it's an uncircumcised Philistine. He didn't even call him a giant. He dresses him in a really strange way. But he doesn't say this giant he doesn't ever dress him that way. He's like, this guy? Y'all are tripping out. And so Eliab, his brother, when he, hears it, when he hears him speak this way, it says, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He says, why have you come down? And with whom have you left a few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and the evilness of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Immediately the accuser of the brethren comes right through the brethren. Comes right to him, right as he's about to step onto the scene in this moment. This is David's moment, whether he realizes it or not. But the enemy comes at him with this accusation, accusing his heart. Now, check out what David said. He's like, what have I done now? 
because you know his brother's always coming at him with this. He's like, what have I done now? Like again? But here's the deal. Like for a lot of us, when we get accused, we start thinking like, oh man, am I doing this? Oh gosh, am I, am I that way? Is there evil in my heart? Am I, da, da, da? There's all these things, right? But check out David, he already left his baggage with the keeper of the baggage. He's like, I've already dealt with all this. Are you, what? He's like, it says he doesn't even listen to him. It says, was it not but a word? It says he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. So he doesn't spin out for three days dwelling in it. Like, you know, am I doing this? It just says he's just talked to this person the same way. Like the king will enrich with what? You talking about this little Philistine, this guy? Because he'd already let aside his baggage. He wasn't processing his life through the, all his past stuff. How did he process this situation? He comes, Saul comes to him and he says, look, Saul hears the confidence of this young man because he said, look, when I was in the wilderness and, they, and these, these bears came and these lions came to take my sheep, I defeated them with my bare hands. So in the seminal moment, he starts meditating on the things that God has done through his life. He's not thinking about his past failures. He's not thinking about all those times that I've been betrayed and this person did this and I messed up here and I did this. He's like, no, no, no. Maybe it's two things, but I remember God did this here and he did this here. He goes, he'll do the same thing with this uncircumcised Philistine. And Saul hears so much faith in this young man's heart. He's like, go. That's crazy. For Saul to trust this young boy with the entire nation in a moment but his faith was infectious. His faith infected Saul. And Saul, when he heard it, he knew it. He's like, this is God. Go. Go. I want to impregnate your heart with faith today from heaven. Like to just go. Like there's these things that he's called you to do and he's saying, go again. Go again. Go again. No. All right. I'm like spitting up here and stuff. Ah, I feel this in my heart for you guys. Ah, this voice of a stranger needs to be silenced in our midst. Needs to be silenced in our minds. We need to be those who are like, like ravenously aggressive about praising God and magnify him. Come, let's magnify the Lord together. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Let's infect the world around us with faith, with faith to believe for the impossible. Let's just start one giant at a time, one giant at a time. So how does David deal with this giant? Saul tries to strap some old school armor on him. He's like, I can't do this. This is not how I flow. He's a little artsy. He's an artist. And so he goes into the, he decides to go to the brook. He goes to the river, you know. And I started looking up river and like the root word of river is inheritance. So I think he, he began to go and because and, he does what he, that's what he does. He goes to magnify the Lord, you know, and get in the river of God and the spirit. And because that's where our inheritance ultimately is. It's all in heaven. It's all been paid for there. We have to learn to access it. And then he goes and he grabs these stones out of the river, you know. And these stones, these stones are these, I believe, they're these words that God gives us from heaven. Because when, because God, he speaks a better word. There's always words over this situation. The enemy's got a word. He's, he's yelling a lot of words. But if that word you're hearing is causing you fear and anxiety and insecurity, rest assured that's not the voice of God. There is a better word over your life. There's a better word over your situation. Even if you've messed up, God works all things together for good for those who love him that are called according to his purposes. There is a better word over every situation. God is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He sees that script in your story way different than you. He's wanting you to believe again and dream again with him. 
and get into the river and get a word of God for your life. Because all it takes is just that one word and you throw it at that voice, that accusing voice, that voice of the stranger and bam. What did it take to drop him? A little boy with a sling and a stone. That's, I mean, that's not how you'd expect. That's what they were freaking out about. But to David's point, he's like, God is with me. And so David, he's... He, says, he said to David, the Philistine, you've come with a sword and a spear and a javelin. David said to the Philistine, you come with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts of God. The armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Some of us need to learn to pray like this. Like, for real, we get pushed around. It's like, nah, this is not coming in my dwelling. These thoughts are not allowed in here. This ain't happening. Because I got a hedge of praise around me. Don't you know my God? Don't you know my God? I will strike you down and cut off your head. When the Philistine arose and came down near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle to meet the Philistine. He put his hand in his bag, he took out a stone and slung it, struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank in his head and he fell face to the ground. I love that, the face of the enemy in the dirt where it belongs. And, you know, another word for the presence of God is the face of God. And so that we can actually gaze more upon his face versus that face of that stranger. And when you get his word, he can sink that face into the dirt and let it roll back into the, into the mud where it's supposed to be. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David took the sword of the Philistine, drew it out of his sheath, killed, killed him, cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. <laughs> Submitting to God, like, praise is, is such a, a magnificent way to do that. Because if we just receive those other voices, we're ultimately submitting to those voices. Right? And so submitting ourselves unto God. And then we can resist because he's with you and you got a proper perspective. And then the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded, wounded Philistines fell on the way from blah, 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 all the way to Ekron. And so what I love about this is how David's act of faith released faith in an entire generation, an entire nation of people. And they, they pursued the Philistines all the way back to Ekron. And Ekron means pulled up by the roots. So the roots of that thing, uh, what's been tormenting, actually got ripped up so that it has no, no longer a place, no longer a place in the people of God to torment. Can I get the band to come up? Is that, do we do that in here? Do we do band? Okay. Can I get the band? Band, can y'all come up? I'm gonna I'm gonna do just a little bit of like I want to address just a few little things in here for some of you guys. But I want us to go back into hell lost another one, I am free. I want us to celebrate this morning because, because I feel like there's, there's this strength that comes in this place of joy as well to encourage our hearts. Because some of us, this word is going to stick with you and there's going to be things that pop up. There's this baggage that the Lord's going to want to deal with in the days ahead. And he wants to pull it up by the roots all the way. All the way. He, he's like, he's big enough to take care of it. You know what I'm saying? It's what he paid for.
I'm really messing up the vibe. Hey, let's all stand. There was a prophetic word that came out this morning and said that there were some in this room that had lost their dreams. They had lost the ability to dream again because of hope deferred or they've tried and they failed. And I just want to say this, this church is a picture of a failed dream. It was an abandoned building. It was a dream by the body of Christ that the enemy thought he won. But he lost another one. He lost another one. Look what God is resurrecting in this place. This could be better than what was before. And so the dream of the thing that you might have believed for in your former days, the thing that, that just hasn't come to pass, and maybe, maybe it failed and maybe it died. But guess what the resurrection version of that thing is? It's glorified. The enemy has to pay for what he's done to the body. He does. So if, if, if that's you, if you feel like you've, you've lost the dream, would you, would, you just, would you just raise your hand? Would you have the courage to raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. And if you're, if you're around them, would you just put your hands on them? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the, you are the dreamer of dreams. You are the God of the resurrection. You are the God of resurrection power. We declare the devil does not get the last word. You get the last word, Lord. You say you will complete the work that you started in us. Help us to activate faith again in it. Help us to take the steps of faith one step at a time, one word at a time, one stone at a time, one brick at a time, one prayer at a time. I break off hope deferred. I break off depression. I break off suicidal thoughts in Jesus' name. If the enemy's coming after you that way, it's because he's scared to death of your life. Your life is so valuable to him. It's so valuable to him. We just declare this is a season of new dreams, a season of resurrection of dreams. It's a season of freedom. It's a season to fell giants. It's a season to walk in victory. And when there's been failures in the past, it's time to let that baggage go. Hey, let's shake this off. Let's shake off the old baggage. Do this with me. Come on. Let's shake off the old. Shake off the old. Come on. Foolish dancer. 
on, lift up a shout of praise today. Come on, lift up a shout. Hey, would you find someone near you just to put a hand on their shoulder? We're going to pray over one another. We'll release you into the day. Father, I thank you that in the midst of your people today, there is a shout of the king over us. That that shout is rising up out of your people. That the chains that have held people back, that the restrictions that have kept people in grave clothes, that those things are falling away today by the blood in the name of Jesus. We exalt you, Jesus. We lift you up. Lord, I thank you that right now, even in the midst of us today, that those who have been without hope are suddenly finding hope returning. That the whisper is in their hearts to lift up their eyes once again. So, Lord, I thank you. I speak right now over every heart. Holy Spirit of God, would you fill them? Give them courage, Lord. Give them courage, Jesus. Give them courage, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in this place today. Can you just say thank you to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. We fan it, Lord, more. We say more, more, more. Lord, would you touch that person? Come on, I want you to pray for the person next to you. I want you to pray that God would bring breakthrough in their lives, that they would never be the same. Come on, just declare it over them. You will never be the same. God has touched you today. What you used to think was restricting you has fallen away. You will never be the same. You came in here today with bondage, but it's gone. You came in here today with addiction, but you've left it behind. You came in here today with disease, but it has left your body. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim the finished work of the cross over each and every heart, each life. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them. Just pour out. Lord, fill them. Holy Spirit, would you come upon them so powerfully? More, Lord, more. Do what only you can do, God. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come upon your life. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come upon your life. Never the same. Never the same. You will never be the same again. God has marked you. Come on, do you receive it? Just say, I receive it. I receive it, Lord. Thank you. All right. Let me bless you good. Father, I thank you for your people, and I bless them today. The fullness of all that God has for you, may it come upon your life. Let this be the season, the rising of the champions among us, the dreaded ones of the Lord Most High. God, I bless your people today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's favor be upon your life that he would open doors that no man can shut. May the graciousness of God, his grace come upon you as you face your giants. Man, <laughs> they're just gatekeepers. They're making sure that you got all the equipment you need to enter in the promised land. We bless you today, church. The peace of God guard your hearts and minds. His shalom be upon your life. Never again will you be tormented by those voices. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody who dared to agree with that said, amen. Come on, can you give a good clap to the Lord today? And would you please help me say thank you to Michael and Meredith for coming? Yeah. All right, God bless you guys. Hey, make sure you love on somebody real good that's sitting around you. Say hello to one another. Have an amazing, amazing week. God bless you.